We are picking back up in the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can uh, open it up to Matthew 6 and sit tight there for a second because I just want to do a little bit of a recap. Hopefully, if you've been journeying along with us um, in this uh, series, you'll remember that this Sermon on the Mount, this is where Jesus, he's literally sitting on a mountainside, and he's teaching his followers, a group of people that have gathered around him to listen. So they've gathered around him, he's teaching them, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, I love the Sermon on the Mount. I love it. I love it because, as Chris just mentioned, Jesus hits us over the head with so many um, practical and profound uh, thoughts on, or practical and profound teachings, things like, as Chris again already said, anger, lust, marriage. He talks about money. He talks about, if you were here last week, loving our enemies. This is just wildly practical things. And so he keeps on pointing us toward his way of living. He keeps on getting into these, um, you know, spaces in our lives and messing with our way of thinking and living and doing and kind of making us pause and consider who are we becoming? Who are we becoming? And he's leaving virtually no area of our lives untouched. I don't know if you've experienced that so far. And today is no exception. Today, Jesus is going to teach us about giving, about giving. Now, for some of you who maybe this is like your first time here, it's like your second or third time, you're like, I knew it. I knew they were going to ask me for money. Today's the day. They're going to pass around a basket. It's going to get weird, and I'm going to have to pretend like I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going to leave. It's going to be a whole thing. No. Hold tight, because that's not what we're doing today. We're not going to do that. And others of you, you might be like, well, you know what? I'm actually good here because I give. I give a lot, actually. So I'm good. Maybe the, the other you know, weeks, they were tough, but not today. Well, spoiler alert for all of us, what Jesus is actually doing here in this portion of his sermon is he's not trying to convince anyone to give. That's not what he's doing. What he's doing here is the same thing he's been doing week after week after week. It's the same thing that we've seen him do, and he's going after the heart behind our actions. So today, he's going to go after the heart behind our giving. And this text that we're going to be reading in just a moment, I promise we'll get there, um, it actually is going to set up our series for the next several weeks. Today sets up our series for the next several weeks. I'll explain that in a moment. But here's what I want you to know. We're going to be coming back to, to a certain question kind of over and over again today and in the weeks to come. And here's the question. Whose approval am I really after? Whose approval am I after? Like I said, none of us are going to get out of the Sermon on the Mount without being messed with a little bit. We're all going to be confronted with stuff. And that, listen, I want you to know that that is good news. Like, it's uncomfortable sometimes when we realize that there's things in us that are not so great and that Jesus is trying to get at. But that is such a kindness from the Lord that he would not leave us as we are, that he wants us to follow him in the way, in a better way. So before we get into our text this morning, let me just pray for all of us. Spirit of God, we thank you that you're here, and we thank you that you love us. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your word, for being committed to teach us and form us, and that you care very much about who we are becoming. You care very much about our hearts and what's going on inside of our hearts. So I pray that this morning you'd be with us, that you would be our teacher, and I pray that the words out of this mouth and the meditation of our hearts this morning would be so pleasing in your sight, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so we are moving into a new section in Jesus' sermon, and um, here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is going, we're going to be in verse 1. Jesus is going to start by giving us a warning, and then he's going to give us three examples, okay? So let's start by reading the warning in verse 1. It says this, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, so that's the warning. That is the warning. And now Jesus is going to give us three examples of how this could play out. Here's the three examples. He's going to talk about when we give, when we pray, and when we fast. And as I said earlier, today we're just going to talk about that first one. We're just going to talk about the first example that he uses, and it's the example of giving. So let's keep reading in verse 2. Jesus says, so when you give to the needy, actually just want to pause right there before we go any farther. Here's what you and I need to understand um, before we move into this. Um, people who were sitting there on this mountainside listening to Jesus in first century Israel, they would not have in any way been confused about why Jesus was using these three examples. They would have been tracking right along with Jesus. They would have been like, yeah, we got we to gotta watch ourselves in those three areas. And here's why. Because in first century Israel, these three, fasting, giving, praying, these were the three most prominent spiritual disciplines. Um, R.T. France, he's a New Testament scholar, in his commentary on the book of Matthew, he says this, these three were, and actually continue to be today, these three were the most prominent practical requirements for personal piety in mainstream Judaism. Like, this these three things, they would have understood, like, to be considered a righteous person in their Jewish culture, you just practiced these three things. So what Jesus is not doing here in these set of verses, again, I said it earlier, but he is not trying to convince anybody that's sitting there listening to him, he's not trying to convince them to give. In fact, he's operating off of the assumption that they're already giving, He's operating off of the assumption that they're just, they're just already doing it. He says that in verse 2. We just read it. When you give to the needy. He's going to say it again in verse 3. When you give to the needy. It's when, not if. Okay? So he's not trying to convince them to give. He's just trying to go after the heart behind their giving. So we needed to clear that up before we moved on. So as I see this, Jesus lays out two ways for us, two different options for us when it comes to giving. Two paths, we could call them, that lead to two different rewards. The first path is what Jesus calls the path of hypocrisy. And the other path, now the text doesn't say it, but it's very much implied here, it's the path of humility. So that's what we're going to talk about today. In our giving, we have two options. There's the path of hypocrisy, or there's the path of humility. So first, we're going to talk about the path 
of the hypocrites. Let's read again, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay, so there's the warning. Now he's going to go into the first example. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So that word hypocrite in the Greek, um, it's the word Hippocrates, and it's, it's a word that means like a stage actor. That's, that's the image that it's supposed to, to bring up in our minds. Literally, it is a performer acting under a mask. It's an actor. It's a pretender. It's somebody who is pretending to do something. Um, and Jesus actually has a specific group of people in mind here when he's using this word. He's thinking of uh, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. If you are familiar with Jesus' life and teachings in the Gospels, you'll know that he often calls these groups of people hypocrites, and he is not shy about it. Like, he just, he just says it all the time in a way that I think, you know, maybe only Jesus could. He uses this word to describe them. He regularly tells his followers who gather around him, hey, don't be like them. In fact, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, I don't, maybe some of you will remember in chapter five, Jesus says, listen, your righteousness needs to surpass their righteousness. He's constantly telling us to not be like them. In fact, if we fast forwarded in the book of Matthew to Matthew chapter 23, Jesus does this whole like spiel. He does this whole, spiel is the wrong word to use of Jesus. Sorry. Sorry, Lord. Um, he does this whole awesome run. He does a whole run on teaching his followers about not being like the Pharisees. So he's in, in Matthew 23, he has this whole group around him, and he says in verse 3, he says, do everything they tell you, the Pharisees tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. He goes on, he says, everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Um, phylacteries, that's a fun word. Um, it's a, so it was a box that they would wear on their head. It was usually, it was meant to be kind of small um, so as to not draw attention. And it had like a parchment in there with um, scriptures from the Torah written out on it. And they would be rolled up inside. It was something that they were supposed to do when they prayed. But what they would do is they, the Pharisees, they'd make them real big. Like everybody look at this, you know, phylactery on my head. So they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets, and they love the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi, that means teacher, to be called rabbi by others. Now, we're not going to read through the rest of chapter 23, but Jesus goes on, and he uses some harsh language about them, and he calls seven times, he calls them hypocrites. Two times, he calls them blind guides. He calls them blind fools. He calls them blind men. He says that they are beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Don't be like these people, Jesus says. Don't do it. In all the areas in your anger, in your marriage, in the way that you look at other people, in the way you treat your enemies, and, and now today in the way you give, don't be like them. This, this is the warning. Now, in describing the behavior of the hypocrites, um, here in, back in Matthew chapter 6, we've seen Jesus do this before in the Sermon on the Mount, but he uses a funny exaggeration in verse 2. 
he uses this picture of a person um, arriving to do their giving, and then he says that they've got trumpets like playing to announce it. So Jesus wasn't being literal. He was not, he was, it was just an exaggerated illustration. You know, it's like if you and I might say that somebody trumpeted around their accomplishments. I don't know if you use that phrase very often, but you know, try it out. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of like the image that he's giving is that somebody would just trumpet around their accomplishments. It gives the picture of somebody who wants to be noticed. Um, when I was in high school, I was asked to go to prom with a guy at his school. Um, I didn't know him super well. He was just like, it was like a loose family friend situation. And the day of his senior prom, uh, he had a track meet and he was very good at track and he swept the meet. So he like meddled in all of his events. It was like, I don't know how many events he had, but most of, most of them he came in first place. So when he came to pick me up that night, <clears throat> he was wearing all of his medals <laughs> around his neck. <laughs> and like, it wasn't, it wasn't like two or three, it was like seven. It was a whole stack of them. There were so many. Um, he wore them the whole night. He asked me if I wanted to wear one. I'm not, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Um, oh, bless his heart. Okay, he definitely got noticed. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all do weird things in high school, right? Like, it's high school. We do weird things. I did weird things. And, you know, we laughed about it later. Um, but, you know, this is, I was thinking about, I was talking to Chris about that earlier this week. Because I was like, that's what I think of when I think of somebody who just want, like, you just want to be noticed. You want, it's like this picture that Jesus is giving of somebody who's like, you know, bragging without using their mouth, you know, like it's the humble brag, which is never humble. Um, so we've got a hypocrite, a person who's acting, you know, like they're giving for good. That's the picture Jesus is, is using. A person who's acting like they're giving for like good, godly, spiritual reasons, but then they're announcing it in front of other people. They're not saying anything, but they've got the trumpets, you know, the proverbial trumpets around. So here is what Jesus says comes with this path, okay? And we've got a visual for you to see, because I've told you before, I'm a visual learner, okay? So here it is. Those who practice their righteousness or those who practice their giving publicly, okay, this is what they get. They get no reward from God, but they do get rewarded by people. They do get rewarded by people. And what is the reward you get from people? It's approval. It's approval. People like you. People will think you are awesome. They will clap for you or cheer for you or just maybe look at you with like a little more like, well, that guy, yeah. Like they just, it's just kind of, you get noticed. Or in our day and age, we've, you know, the first century people listening here to Jesus wouldn't have understood this analogy, but literally we can be followed now on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, your choice of social media is. We can have our own disciples, people who follow us along and we'll be approved by people. And here's the thing, if that is what you are after, that is what you will get. 
If that's what you're after, that's what you'll get. I mean, we'll get rewarded by people. If what matters to you is that everybody thinks you're awesome, they will approve of your life, your generosity, your giving, then hey, that's what you'll get. That's what will happen. Back in verse 1, in the very first part where Jesus warned us, he said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Why did he say be careful? I think, I think he said to be careful because there is a real temptation to be proud of ourselves, to want people to know the good things we've done, to want to be seen by others, and it's because it feels good. It feels good. Like, we can laugh about, you know, funny stories like this, but the reality is it feels good when you get noticed for something that you've done. Science backs this up. Like, we are a generation of people who actually, we get a dopamine hit when we get likes on Instagram. Like, as in real neuropsychological changes take places in our brains. Chemical reactions take places in our brains when we perceive that people are um, approving of us. When we feel like we are experiencing approval from others. Like, look it up. I'm not making it up. There's science backed research on this. If you don't think it's true, I wonder how you would feel if today, not right now, but later, you posted a picture on whichever social media platform you're on, and not, it's like your favorite picture, it means so much to you. And out of your, you know, 200 followers, 12,000, whatever it is, whatever number you've got there, not one person comments. Like it's just out, it just feels like it's just like out there and just like bait and nobody is commenting, nobody's liking it, nobody is saying anything and ultimately it just feels like nobody cares. Some of you are like, I don't care actually, I do it for me. No. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I want to suggest. Some of you don't have social media, which is amazing. I love that. And here's what I want to suggest to us. You and I actually have been created and hardwired by God to want approval. That's the way he's made it us. He has made, made it? That's the way he has made us. He has fashioned and formed us with this intrinsic, deep need to be seen, loved, accepted, and to feel valued. It's the way he has made us for someone to look at us and say, hey, well done, well done. And it's not all a bad thing, but here's the caveat. God is the only one who can truly fill that need that we have for acceptance. It's him. He's the only one who sees us, loves us, knows us, accepts us, even all the weird, quirky stuff about us. He loves it all because he made us. We're his. We're his kids. He loves it. He looks on us and he takes delight in us. And so when we look for approval from humans, 
from other people to fill that God-shaped piece of the puzzle in our lives, we will eventually be disappointed, we will be discouraged, and we will feel the need to try again and try again and try again. And the reality is that everyone else's approval of us will eventually fall flat. At some point, it just won't be enough and we'll wonder why. We have this ability to work tirelessly for approval from, man, from fickle people. We're all, we can all be fickle. And again, in our lifetime, this is just like this crazy world of like uh, wanting uh, temporary approval from, from a culture who will just love us and accept us and follow us one day and cancel us the next day. Who disagrees with the choice we made or something that we did and we're just, we're done no longer approved of. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a merry-go-round that is just exhausting. Like exhausting to my core. It makes me tired thinking about it. But here's the good news. Jesus tells us that there is a better way. There's a better way. A better path. And this is what he lays out for us in the next set of verses. In verse 3, he says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Okay. So the first path that Jesus laid out was the path of the hypocrite. We can draw attention to ourselves in our giving. And now here, he is laying out the better path. And this is the path of the humble person. And again, he does the same thing. He uses this super exaggerated illustration. Jesus is such a good teacher. He says, do not, know, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It's an obvious impossibility. We probably know that. But here's what Jesus is getting at. He's getting um, at, the, at this, like, we need to act as though we ourselves don't even know what we did. Not like we're dumb about it, but it's more like we're just so unimpressed with ourselves that we don't even recognize it as anything over which we could conceive of bragging about. Like, let's say that you... I don't know, inherited a million dollars and you gave it to a, you know, the Union Gospel Mission or something. Amazing. But what Jesus is saying here is that what that should register in our minds, like, it's like for us to even conceive of bragging about it would be on the same playing field as saying to somebody, like, bragging about something like, well, I brushed my teeth today. Like, just something so, so base. That it just, we, it doesn't even register for us that we should brag about it or it's something worth bragging over. We just remain generally unimpressed with ourselves. Not self-deprecating. That's not what he's saying. It's just viewing ourselves through the right kind of lens. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He says, keep the things so secret that even you yourself are hardly aware that you are doing anything at all praiseworthy. Let God be present, and you will have enough of an audience. Now, I want to address something else here. For those of you who have really good memories, you might remember a few weeks ago, as we were studying this sermon uh, already, 
We read that Jesus said this in Matthew chapter five. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Jason preached on that a few weeks ago or a little while ago. It was great. You should go back and watch it. So it might be tempting to think, all right, okay, so we are supposed to let others see our good deeds, but also we aren't supposed to let others know that we do good deeds. Like, what, like, <laughs> what do we do, Jesus? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay, Jesus is not contradicting himself here in Matthew chapter 6. That's not what he's doing. He's saying, like, listen, if you are living and giving from a humble posture and somebody happens to see you and take notice of it, it's going to glorify God. Like it will cause people's eyes to go up, which is always the point. But if my living and my giving is just to feed my own ego, if my living and my giving is about me, people will see me. And their eyes don't go up, they go to me. And suddenly I've, like I'm trying to do this in front of God. Now, some people can argue, and I've heard this argument before, like, listen, all that matters is that I'm doing it. All that matters is that I'm giving. That's really the point. But Jesus is butting up against this line of thinking, and he does it in other places in Scripture too, but he's butting up against this line of thinking and saying, actually, God cares very much about how we do it. He cares very much about the spirit and the heart behind our giving. And like everything else in this sermon of Jesus's, he's getting to the root motivation, the root motivation of our giving. And so here's, the, here's what Jesus says comes with, with this path. Um, so practicing our righteousness privately or practicing our giving privately, he says, will be no reward from people. People, not necessarily, people may not notice us, but you do get rewarded by God. You do get rewarded by God. Now, the reality is that people may never know what you do. How hard you work, how much you give, how much time you spend helping, serving, volunteering, investing into others. People may just never know this side of heaven. And that's tough. There's just no two ways about it. It's tough. And listen, I'm not trying to sweep this under the rug or over-spiritualize anything, but Jesus does make a beautiful promise here. He promises that God himself sees, that God knows. And for the humble person who has quietly, graciously, faithfully lived out their faith, this person gets the better reward. This is the better reward. Now, here's what I want to do next. I want to put these two paths side by side. I think we have a slide for it. Awesome. Okay. Here's the two different paths, the path of hypocrisy and the path of humility. I want you to notice that both the humble and the hypocrite give. Both of them give. But as we said at the beginning of our time together, they lead to two very different outcomes. The hypocrite is after human approval. 
They're after human approval, and that ends up being the extent of their reward. That's what they get. But the humble are after God's approval. Now, a fair question to ask at this point is this. What does it mean to be rewarded by God? What does it mean to be rewarded by God? This has been the question of the week for me. Um, share a few thoughts with you. Reward, in the original Greek, it means exactly, exactly what you would think it means. It's a word, misthos. It means wages or salary. Um, it's compensation for either good or bad work. If you haven't worked very hard, your compensation is probably not as good. But it's compensation. And I did a lot of um, studying for today. I take... I think we all do, all of us teachers here at The Way, but um, take this very seriously. It is no small thing to stand up and, and teach from God's Word. And so I struggled through this part a bit, to be honest. I really struggled through it, because here's what I wanted. I wanted to find an answer to this question, like, what does it mean to be rewarded by God? I wanted to find a question that would make us all sit here and be like, yep, yes. Yes, that is good. Like, that sounds like a good reward. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I was hoping for. And the Bible actually does have a lot to say about rewards. Um, it's mentioned about, like, the idea, different language around rewards. It's mentioned about 61 times in the Old Testament. It's mentioned 38 times in the New Testament. And I'm going to share just a smattering of things that the word reward could mean, okay? It can mean life. It can mean good life. It can mean eternal life. Wisdom, it can mean. It can mean freedom. Paul talks about it in the form of a crown in 1 Corinthians 9. All, that's just a, an example of a few things that, that reward can mean. But here's the thing. The more I studied it, and I, I studied so much, the more I became convinced that all of these were ultimately telling the same story. That these scriptures, although nuanced, all of them are talking about the same ultimate reward. But still, I kept looking. <laughs> I wanted to be sure. I wanted to double and triple check, and here's what almost every scholar, every commentary, every article, every book I read said, and it backed up what I was finding in Scripture. Are you ready? Jesus is the reward. He's it. He's the prize. He's the prize at the end of this thing. And over and over, everywhere I looked, there it was. And still, I was like, ah, but there's got to be, <laughs> like, can I tell them they're going to have a bigger mansion in heaven or something? <laughs> like, I don't know, little acreage in heaven, that might be nice. On a lake or something, I don't know. But over and over again, there it was, staring me in the face. And I was tr <clears throat> trying to find something more tangible to grab a hold of, something that we could just, I don't know, wrap our minds around this side of heaven. 
And as I was struggling through this, and even though I, I knew that it said that Jesus was the reward, like I just, and I was trying to find something else for us today, I was, I had this moment where I was sitting at my dining room table. That's where I do most of my studying. It was early in the morning the other day. And I just felt the Lord whisper to me in the middle of all this, like hurrying and trying to figure it out. Like, Alita, aren't I enough? Aren't I enough of a reward? And I sat there at my table and just started closing all the commentaries, <laughs> all the books that I had layered around me. I was like, oh, of course you are. Of course he is. Of course he is. Of course he's enough. Like, and if you are not a follower of Jesus, I understand that that probably just makes absolutely no sense. But if you are a follower of Jesus, man, I hope this makes a whole lot of sense to you. Because of course he's, a, like, what else is there? Who else is there? What else could possibly compare to knowing him? That's the question I had to ask myself. Like, what could you give me this side of heaven that's better than him? A, a car? A house? Like, what? What? Money? What compares to you, Lord? Nothing. Knowing you, being loved by you, walking with you, these are the things that I care most about. I mean, of course, you are the prize, Jesus. You are it, Lord. And I wouldn't trade a single thing for you. I told you at the beginning of our time today that today and in the weeks to come, we were going to have to wrestle through this question of whose approval am I really after? And I just kept thinking this week that, you know, there is a day coming where we will get to see him face to face, unveiled, full on in the face. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you will get to hear him audibly, not just like in our spirits, but like out loud, hear his voice, see his eyes looking at you and saying, well done, well done. It's a thing our hearts have longed to hear, the approval of the one that we've really wanted. Um, years ago, I met a guy named Dow. We called him, his name is Dow Robinson. I met him whenever I was maybe um, 14 years old. He worked with my dad. And um, I remember he was an older gentleman at the time, I want to say in early 70s, mid-70s. He was small, small in stature, full of life. And I remember random things about him. I remember that he loved scallops. That's so random. He talked about them quite often. That's why I remember that. Um, he uh, loved a glass of red wine every night before bed. He would say, it's good for my heart. It's good for my blood pressure. He loved young people. He liked to ask a lot of questions. He listened really well. Didn't talk too much, just listened really well. 
He had his PhD in linguistics, but you would never know it because he rarely, if ever, brought it up. He was married to a woman named Lois, and they had no children. Um, but by the time I met them, they were in the, their mid to late 70s, like I said. And um, they felt like they had a lot of spiritual children. They were both quiet, unassuming. They drove an older car. They lived in an older house. And to me and the many people in our church that knew them, um, he was just Dow. He was just Dr. Dow, as we called him. What many people didn't know is that Dr. Dow, for 20 years, he and his wife Lois, they lived in Mexico among a tribe of Aztecs where they translated the New Testament. They had been on staff with the Wycliffe Bible translators, and their assignment was complex. Their assignment was to move to Mexico, and I want to read a bit of an excerpt of what they were asked to do. Their task was to, number one, learn to speak the Aztec language by mimicry. Two, to develop an alphabet for this unwritten language. Three, to work out the grammatical structure of the language. Four, to prepare literacy materials in Aztec to lead the people into the skills of reading and writing. Five, to live among the people and enjoy their lifestyle. Six, to develop a bilingual dictionary. Finally, number seven, to translate the New Testament into Aztec. This was a 15 to 20 year process that was required to live among the Aztec speakers to the extent that Aztec language, thought, food, dress, and housing became the norm. So our activities began to revolve around the corn cycle, the market day, and the activities that, con that constituted life among the Aztecs. Dow and Lois were never able to have children. In fact, while they lived in Mexico, they lost quite a few to their devastation. They never struck it rich. They didn't become famous. They didn't have Instagram followers or a Facebook page. They didn't write any best-selling books or even become itinerant speakers. They quietly, humbly, without fanfare, served the Aztec people for the better part of 20 years and changed generations of people who now have the New Testament in their hands and know all about Jesus. Dow passed away in uh, 2011, right before we moved here, and I was thinking about him this week. And I was just, man, I was thinking, oh, I bet, I bet Dr. Dow, when you met Jesus, you heard, well done. And I cannot help but think that for all they sacrificed and all they laid down, for all the things that people never knew about them, that when Dr. Dow saw Jesus, he probably had that moment of, oh, you were worth it. You're all the reward I needed. And you're enough for me. And I just wonder, 
is he enough for us? Truly, is Jesus enough for us? This is the invitation that he offers us to come with him away from the well-traveled path of hypocrisy and to come on the narrow, rocky road of humility to lay down our crowns, the things that we think matter, our search for human approval, the idols of self-image that we have, uh, self-righteousness, our pride, people's perception of us, just to lay all of that down and to follow him in the way of humility. Because that's the path. And maybe it is the narrower, less traveled path, but that is the path that will lead us to him. And he is inviting all of us to follow him on that. We are all welcome, every one of us.